0: Good evening, everyone. You've got mail. And this is part of our preaching workshop, which was the idea of our pastor when he was planning his sabbatical. And way back then, the idea when it was thrown out one night... Uh, in the minor hall that uh, pastor was going to be away for a period of time and that if anybody in the preaching workshop would like the opportunity to preach then that could be facilitated and at that time it seemed a good idea when he said just send me an email and um, I'll get back to you and Good ideas don't always remain good ideas when you're actually in the spot and have to speak. But however, I want to thank our pastor for giving us this wonderful opportunity to be able to bring God's word to uh, the congregation. Certainly, it's been in his wisdom and guidance to give us the opportunity. And I hope you have been uh, enjoying um, the series already. Certainly I have thoroughly enjoyed each and every one that I've heard here in, in the church and some um, I listened to when I was last in Alicante a few weeks ago. I spent a night listening to uh, I think three sermons, one uh, after the other. So I have been thoroughly blessed and um, refreshed and I have gained a tremendous insight into the book of Revelation that I never ever saw before. There is so much there. And even in this church that has been given to me because I didn't choose it, the pastor wisely in his wisdom uh, decided which church uh, we were going to actually be preaching on. But I have found so much in even this church that... um, I, I, I pre- think I could probably preach seven messages on this church alone. There is so much wonderful truth hiding in the, the scriptures, and um, we will not have time to go through it all um, this evening. These are the seven churches that we've been faced with, and you've already heard people speak On five of them, and tonight it is my turn to speak on the church at Philadelphia. If you've got your Bible with you, um, I do apologize that I'm reading from the ESV, uh, but I have it up on the screen, and I trust that you will be able to follow it um, as I read through it. And I suppose in good Windsor style, let's stand together while we read the word of God. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word to each and every one of our hearts. The sixth church addressed in the letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor is Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia was known as the doorway to the east. It lay at the eastern end of a very wide valley which it shared with Smyrna on the Aegean Sea and Sardis halfway in, in between. Philadelphia was strategically located in that it was situated where the north-south east-west trade routes intersected. The large volume of Greek traders and travellers passing through this city greatly influenced the inhabitants with their culture. So influential was Greek culture in in Philadelphia that the city quickly was given over to worshipping Greek gods, and many temples were thus erected to those gods. In fact, Philadelphia is often referred to as Little Athens because of its magnificent Greek temples. Yet within a short span of time, these idolatrous Greek worshippers turned against the local believers, persecuting them for their faith. And what made this persecution even more severe was that many of the radical Jewish citizens living in Philadelphia collaborated with these idol worshippers to actively persecute the church of Jesus Christ. The city of Philadelphia was also known for its violent earthquakes. In AD 17, it was completely destroyed by such an event. Following the massive quake, the city suffered for many years from aftershocks, resulting in continual destruction and the need for the repeated rebuilding of the city. It is recorded that many of the inhabitants of Philadelphia lived in huts outside the city due to the fear of tremors and the associated consequences. The motivation for rebuilding Philadelphia was its very prosperous, fertile location. It was widely known for its farming landscape and for the abundance of vines and winemaking. In the letter addressed to the seven churches, there is a wonderful contrast that is being drawn between the location of these cities and the Church of Jesus Christ. While Philadelphia was unsafe due to earthquakes, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ were safe because of the faithfulness of the Lord. The church in Philadelphia may be insignificant and small, but it is faithful to its master. In fact, this letter or the letter to this church does not contain the slightest hint of rebuke or criticism from the Lord. This church receives only praise and commendation from the Lord. The Philadelphian church in in men's eyes appeared insignificant. Note that the reference in the Bible reading to the church having little power doesn't mean that they were not spiritually strong. It just means that they didn't have or they didn't carry much clout in the city of Philadelphia. They may have lacked great authority They may have lacked social status. They may have lacked education and wealth. But spiritually, in God's estimation, they were spiritually noteworthy. This is a church to be recommended. You see, when Christ measures a church, or when Christ gauges, A church's spiritual life. He doesn't look at its size. He doesn't look at the buildings. No pun mentioned or meant, uh, Gordon, when talking about buildings and growing. But he doesn't look at the buildings. He doesn't look at the church's power and influence. He doesn't look at programs and ministries. He doesn't even look at wealth and growth. When Christ measures or gauges a church's spiritual life, he doesn't look at outward appearances. No matter how impressive appearances may be, Christ looks at the heart. He looks into the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7, the scriptures reminds us, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. As Christ examines the heart of the believers in Philadelphia, so he examines my heart. So he examines your heart. Will his commentary on our hearts, on this church, be the same as that? Of the believers in Philadelphia. In looking at what Christ has to say about these believers, I want you to note three things with me. First of all, I want you to note the Lord's praise. Look at verse 8. I know your works, I know that you have little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In true apostolic fashion, God's word had been received and preached faithfully in Philadelphia. And as a result of that, People in this city were converted and a fellowship of true believers was established. These, new, these believers as new converts continued to read and to search the scriptures, storing its teachings in their hearts and faithfully practicing it in their lives every day. One gets a sense from how this church is addressed that they loved, that they esteemed the word of God more than their daily food. God's word was a delight in their heart. The Lord could say of this church, you have kept my word Again, looking at verse 8, it suggests they not only obeyed the word, but that they held fast to the name of the Lord. It says, you have not denied my name. You see, the keeping of God's word and the holding fast to his name, they go hand in hand. They go together. To claim that you love the Lord and at the same time deny his name is ridiculous. Everything that you and I as a believer knows about Christ comes as a result of reading and meditating on the word of God. Timothy reminds us in his epistle, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the upshot of those verses is that you and I must fully obey the teaching of God's word. I cannot pick faults with God's word. I cannot decide that there are bits of God's word that I don't believe or that I feel is somewhat irrelevant for the day that I live in. God's word, every bit of it, must be believed and obeyed. This church is praised then for obeying God's word. And every person who declares that they are a true believer must act in the same way. This church is praised for not denying the name of the Lord. It says you have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. These believers in Philadelphia had been through the mill in seeking not to deny the name of Christ. And yet despite all that they had been through, they remained faithful to the Lord in the face of severe persecution. Those who were persecuting the church in Philadelphia were from the same grouping as those that persecuted the believers in Smyrna verse 9 says, those from the synagogue of Satan. If any group of people should have positively received the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Jews should have been first. Jesus is the Messiah they were looking for. But instead, Of receiving him. They rejected him. And now in Philadelphia. They are in the business of persecuting those. Who believed on Christ. And the words of Christ are very emphatic. In these these chapters. For he says that in persecuting the church. They are doing the work of Satan. Most of us have little or no appreciation for the kind of persecution the early church and churches like Philadelphia went through. Brian reminded us last Sunday morning that we have generally no idea of the suffering of many believers in our world today. These believers were hated by the pagans and by the Jews who should have known differently, threatened daily with the loss not only of their possessions but their lives, ridiculed by their neighbors, friends, family, boycotted and ostracized from society. These believers stood true to the Lord. I wonder if I was placed in the same environment, would I remain true to Christ? Especially when my life might be at stake. Yet these believers could rejoice. For although they were suffering persecution, the day was approaching when it would all be over and they would be welcomed into God's presence with the well done of Christ. On Thursday of of last week, I looked into the coffin of my sister knowing It was well with her. For she, like these believers, had kept the faith through many years of difficulty and trial in her life. And you know, the blessing was that she was not there. But on Tuesday, when she died, she already received the well-done Of God as she entered into his presence. The church in Philadelphia have left us a wonderful example to follow that even in the face of persecution and false doctrine, they were completely faithful to the Lord. They were faithful in their confession, they were faithful in their lifestyle, and they were faithful in their doctrine. The first thing that the Lord says to this church is words of praise. Secondly, I want us to consider the Lord's propositions. In verse 8, he says, I have opened a door for you that no one can close. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ declares himself in John 10, verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. And again in John chapter 10, verse 1, he says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. As in the days of the Philadelphian church, the Lord Jesus Christ is still the only door of salvation. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be seen. But the door that Christ is speaking about to this church is not the door of salvation. He's speaking about the door of opportunity. The Lord reminds this church that before it is a door of opportunity to witness to those around them. First century believers lived in an uneasy relationship with Judaism. From the New Testament, it would appear that most Jewish Christians probably attended the synagogue, took part in the ritual worship, and used the Hebrew scriptures as their Bible. Then on the first day of the week, they met with those who believed in Jesus. As the Messiah. In Philadelphia. It is the opinion. Of many sources. On this passage. That the door of the local synagogue. Was closed. To these believers. The situation came about. Due to the fact that the Jews in Philadelphia. Believed. That they were the only true people. Of God. And as such, it was they who held the keys to the kingdom of God. Consequently, then, the Jews had resorted to locking the believers out of the synagogue. And refused to let them come in any longer. But the Lord says to these people who have been locked out, he says, I have the key of David. It is I, it's the Lord, who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. Jesus says to these believers, don't waste your time on such trivial matters. The Jews are not true believers. They are the synagogue of Satan. Instead of worrying about doors that are closed, I have set before you an open door. You have been faithful to me in the face of this opposition and therefore I will be faithful to you. I will use you. I will engage you. I will give you opportunity. You have steadfastly faced the opposition. You have been faithful in the small things. Now I will trust you with the greater things. Note, will you, that the word open in verse 8, I have set before you an open door. The word door, the word open is not being used as an adjective qualifying the noun door. In the original Greek, it is the perfect participle. The perfect participle is used to denote completed action in the past. So in verse 8, the meaning is the door having already been opened or the door that is standing Open. You see, we do not have to force open any door. The door is already open in relation to opportunities. The door is open, and it is our responsibility to make every effort to go through. The door in serving the Lord. Christ is the one with the key of David. And he has set an open door before the church and not the synagogue. The door of the church or the door of the synagogue may be closed to the believers. But the door to serve Christ is wide open. God has and is equipping us and giving us all the strength that we need to serve Him. Are you? Are you serving Him? Am I? Am I serving Him? Am I exploiting every opportunity to serve the Master? I have to confess that I don't think I am. I have missed opportunities. Why? Because I've permitted the fear of man to snare me. I've been too afraid to open my mouth, to stand out for the Lord. After the Second World War, General Douglas MacArthur set up a provisional government in Japan to restore order. He sent to the United States of America requesting that missionaries would be sent to Japan. Because he said the door is now open for the preaching of the gospel. However, very few missionaries availed of that open door. And today, Japan is still very much an unreached nation with the gospel. A wonderful opportunity. A missed opportunity. How? By failing to recognize the door was already standing open. In my life, In your life, the Lord has set open doors before us. Are we availing of the opportunity? The scripture says, do you not say? There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see The fields are white for harvest. The Lord's proposition. And finally, the Lord's promise. In verse 10 he says, Because you have kept my word, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. This promise has its immediate fulfillment every day in our lives and it will yet have future fulfillment at the return of Christ. But every day we need to thank the Lord for his keeping us from trials. But the day has come, I believe, for us to experience trial and tribulations. The laws that are now being passed in our land, in the United Kingdom, are already bringing believers into conflict with the state. Many thought that that would never happen, but it has happened. And it will become more prevalent as we move towards the end times. How will we fare when it happens to us? Will we be like the church at Philadelphia? Remain strong in the face of trial? And prove the Lord will be with us in trial? Verse 11 brings a special message to the individual members of the church at Philadelphia. These believers didn't have much going for them. They were despised by men, but God praises them for their faithfulness. They had little of this world's goods, but they had something more important. They had a crown of life. And Christ's message to them is hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the church at Smyrna God promised a crown of life but to the believers in Philadelphia he says the one who conquers I will make him a pillar. In the temple of my God. The heathen practice in Philadelphia when a person died was to raise a pillar to them in the city's heathen temples. But the Lord isn't going to make the believer a pillar in any earthly temple. That would collapse when the next earthquake came. He promises to make them a pillar in heaven. In other words, he was giving these believers the blessed assurance that they would be in his presence forever. They would forever be with the Lord, honoring, praising, and serving him. The Lord promises that his people will be firmly established as pillars. They will Clearly, be identified as citizens of the new Jerusalem and no one can ever take that from us it is certain we will eternally be in the presence of the Lord as he says in verse 12 never shall he go out of it Philadelphia as I've said earlier was an area prone to earthquakes. When the city was hit by an earthquake, the people would run out into the streets to avoid being crushed by the falling buildings. For weeks, they would continue to camp outside the city in tents, af- afraid of further earthquakes. The lives of the Philadelphians were dominated. With terrible insecurity. But the Lord doesn't promise us. His children. Insecurity. He promises that those. That overcome. Will be eternally. Saved. He promises I will write on him. The name of my God. And the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. In Philadelphia, the pillars erected and inscribed with the names of those they honoured would tumble and fall when the next earthquake would hit and they would be lost and forgotten. However, In contrast, the faithful in Philadelphia are promised that they would not only never again leave God's presence, not only would God erect a pillar in their honor in heaven, as was the custom in Philadelphia, but that in his kingdom God will write three names on every believer, the name of God, the name of the New Jerusalem and Christ's new name. To these believers, Jesus confirms the new relationship that will be enjoyed by the overcomer and His Savior. In heaven. Every true child of God will gain eternal recognition for what they've done for the Lord. While our our names may not be honoured or recognised in this world, they will be honoured and recognised in heaven. You may feel insignificant in this world. But remember, it's not what the world thinks of us that matters. It's what Christ thinks of us. Jesus reassures the Philadelphian believers who were faithfully standing for Christ in their pagan society. And he comforts us in the same way in the age in which We are called to serve him. He praises them for their faithfulness. He sets before them a wonderful proposal. And he promises that they will be forever with the Lord. May we honor. May we serve him knowing that he is truly the sovereign king that is constantly at work on the behalf of his people. May God bless his word to our hearts.